One of the last things that Jesus said to Peter was, strengthen your brothers, right? And his letters, he wrote two letters. He preached, he did missions, and he, he was inspired by God, and he wrote these letters that you now have. Um, and in his letters, they're a classic example of him doing exactly what Jesus asked him to do, and that was strengthen the church, uh, strengthen the people. And so, we're going to look at 2 Peter. Um, 2 Peter, you have a copy in front of you. If you if you got a Bible, you can look onto that. Uh, whatever you prefer, but I put copies out there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, we're going to look at the whole chapter, and then we're going to like fly through this thing. It's a really ambitious task, but we only have one week left, and so we're just going to do it all together. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to start out, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Uh, and so, this is God's Word. It is good. If you want to, just follow along with me. Second Peter is a weird book if you're still trying to find it in your New Testament. It's like after Hebrews, James. Okay, it's back there. It's tricky to find. Uh, all right, so Second Peter 3, starting in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. With scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? Forever, since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies would melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which his righteousness dwells. We're going to stop right there. Whoa, that's weird. A lot of stuff on fire. I'm freaked out. Like nobody wants to go be part of this, right? Um, It's interesting. We're going to look at this passage. It's the last thing. It's the last bit of communication that we hear about Peter or from Peter. Um, and it's him talking to the church about Jesus' second coming. Uh, and it's really tricky stuff. And so we're going to pray for the Lord to help us 
and, uh, and then dive in. So if you would, pray with me. Uh, God, thank you for your word. It is so good, even when it is uh, challenging or confusing uh, or hard to interpret. Um, God, you give it to us because you love us. And so I pray now that you would help us see um, the grace of this passage, that you would help us see Jesus um, in this passage, uh, and that you would help us listen to your word. Um, and would you send your spirit to, to change us? Uh, open the eyes of our hearts. Give us the ears to hear. Truly, we need you. Um, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, at first, can everybody hear me okay? Pretty good? Everybody good? At first, I had no idea what the painting was. Um, it looked like a small town scene. Uh, but as I got closer to the painting, uh, I quickly realized it was not a Thomas Kincaid painting. Uh, it was not a sweet little quaint village. Um, and we're going to come back to this painting. Um, when I graduated college, which wasn't too long ago, maybe it was a long time ago, I moved to this small town where I did not know anyone. I really didn't know anyone. But I had one really loose connection to someone, someone, someone's cousin, right? And so like any isolated, lonely like recent college student that moved somewhere where he doesn't know anybody, looking to make some friends, I got in touch with the only person that I remotely knew. Like, I'll give it a shot. We'll start there. Um, and his family had me over for dinner. Cool. Go. Really sweet people. Typical kind of like southern, southern family, hospitable, engaging, very, uh, very cool. Until I saw the painting. And so at one point, no one was around me, and I was just kind of, I don't even know how I ended up, but I was downstairs in like their living room basement area. I was down there just killing time, and I noticed a large painting across the room. And so I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, it looked intriguing from 10 feet away, and then I kind of was like, oh, and it obviously got my attention, and so I went over. And as I got closer, the painting got a little weirder. Okay, and as I got even more closer, it got even more weird. And the next thing you know, I was up close, and I'm like staring at this painting, like interpreting it, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, and in this painting, there were all these, these spirits, okay, like coming out of graves. Uh, and then there were like cars, there were like these paintings, there were like cars that had crashed into stuff. Uh, and there was like spirits coming out of the window of the car. And... Uh, <laughs> Bodies laying everywhere. I think there were flames. I mean, it was just bizarre. Uh, and all the spirits, some of them going through rooftops, like of houses, because there was houses. Uh, some of the spirits going through rooftops and all the other ones, they were all kind of coming together in the center of the painting. And in the center, flying through the air, was what I'm pretty sure was Jesus. Okay, I'm pretty sure it was Jesus. He's kind of like floating you know, in the middle of the sky, and you got these spirits coming up. Some people are like, no! And some people are like, oh! You know, it's like, it was just wild. It was so wild. And um, so here's the thing. I looked at this painting, and I thought, I'm uncomfortable. I did. I really did. I was like, I'm uncomfortable at this point. This, and I had this thought through my mind. I was like, 
I started doing, like looking around. I was like, this is like, this is a scene in a scary movie. Like, this is how scary movies, this is exactly what happens, nice little small town, you just go hang out, you're having dinner, and the next thing you know, it gets crazy. Um, and so, from that point on, I had one thought on my mind. This is my thought, exit strategy. Because we still got dessert, I'm, I'm there, nobody knows I'm there. And um, I was leaving, that was my main mission. And, you know, I didn't know how long I had before I possibly would end up like someone in this picture, like someone in this painting. I really didn't know. And, uh, and so I was getting out of there. Anyway, here's the point. People love the end times. Like, people love to talk about the end times. They love talking about it. Obviously, people love painting about it. Um, people have made literally millions of dollars writing books about the in times, and there was nothing about that painting necessarily evil, um, but but here's the reality: is things can get really weird when we when people, Christians and non-Christians, start talking about the end times, last things, judgment day, second coming, all those different things that we can say about it. I mean, like people inside of Christianity and outside of Christianity can really go cuckoo for cocoa puffs when it comes. I'm not kidding. When it comes to Jesus's return, right? I mean, they really can. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to try in just a few minutes to kind of remove some of the religious clutter that we bring into this stuff. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about Jesus' return. Now, we're not going to cover everything. uh, But this is the last thing Peter says to the church. And so I'm I'm thinking what he has to say is pretty important. Um, And so two questions. What is true and what to do? Pretty basic. What is true and what to do? Uh, And so let's just talk about what is true in verses 1 through 13. Because Peter kind of tells them a number of things. One, I think it's really amazing the first thing he says to them. He tells the church to remember God's word. It's literally how he starts out. Um, Remember God's word. Remember the Bible. Why? Because he explains it. Scoffers will come. And they're going to challenge the promise of Jesus' return. They're going to tweak it. They're going to mix it up. Uh, And you see that in verses 3 and 4. I mean, people were already around the church at this time challenging the truth of Scripture. And that's what they did. Um, And they were creating doubt. And they were creating doubt in these churches that Peter's writing these letters to. But Peter says to begin thinking about the end times, he's saying you've got to remember God's word. Um, And then the next thing he says about kind of Jesus' second coming is there's going to be some judging. Like there will be a day of judgment. Okay? Now I'm not going to go fire and brimstone on you, but this is what Peter says. Like there will be a day of judgment when, try to spell that word I just said. I don't even know what it was. Uh, There's going to be this day when the impartial judge, Jesus, right, he is coming and he's going to put everything right. Um, he will judge the living and the dead. Or, if I mean, if you just want to keep it real, look at how Peter puts it. He says, when he comes and destroys the ungodly. That's very warm and fuzzy. I'm sure all of you are just feeling real good about yourselves right now. Uh, when he comes to destroy the ungodly, you see that at the end of verse 7. Now, many people today really have a problem with this stuff. Like, we just do. It just kind of bothers us. Like, we really have a problem with the idea of judgment day. And so if you're one of those folks, you're welcome here, and I understand. 
Like, it's a hard topic to talk about. It's hard to think about. Um, But the reality is, no matter who you are, we all have a tremendous sense of justice. Like, we all have a, a tremendous need for it. And you don't need to go far to see this play out. In fact, you need to go no further than the playground at my kid's preschool. You step on the scene of the preschool. Kids are playing. Kids are sharing. And one kid shares a candy bar with another kid. But then that same kid who just got the candy bar won't share his fruit snacks. Guess what? You think those kids in the playground would be cool? No. They're going to riot. There will be judgment. Somebody, I'm not kidding. Somebody's getting some fruit snacks. Like, it's going to happen. Okay, let's ramp it up a little bit. That's funny, but the, the reality is we grow up with a need for justice, right? Now, let's think about this. Let's, okay, that's kind of funny, although it's a real good example. You guys are at home. You guys are at home. You're watching the news, and you've all seen this stuff. You see it pop on Facebook. Some oppressive regime in some third world country... And this happens all the time. I mean, I've got friends in Africa. They can tell you personal stories. Um, the, the, this oppressive regime blocks some humanitarian effort, even NATO, whatever. Whoever's sending these shipments of food in, they block the food. And it can't get to these people. And so the next thing you know, you have people hungry, people starving, people dying. And, like, you, you hear those stories, like, you're mad. Like, you feel something. Like, that's frustrating. That ought to make you really angry. Because you have a need for justice. Right? Uh, and so this thing, this idea of judgment day is hard, but the reality is we, we have a need for it. Like, we have a desire for justice. It's kind of the, it's part of our hardwiring. Um, and so judgment day will happen in the end. Right? Jesus' second coming, judgment's happening. And there's some characteristics about this day that I think are really important that Peter puts out there for us. One, he says you're not going to see it coming. Okay? And so, FYI, fast forward, you move to a town, and you start going to some church, and the pastor tells you, judgment day is going to happen on December 12th in 2016. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, oh, really? And you're going to leave. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to go back. And that's okay, because the Bible says no one knows. It's going to come like a thief. Without warning, you will not see it. It will be sudden, right? And it will come without warning. And every, this is what's freaky. This, this is about to freak everybody out. It freaks me out. Every person's works, right, all the things you've done, thought, not done, will be exposed. Like, there is nowhere to hide. We're all freaked out right now. And you see that in verse 10. Like Peter's telling the church, hey, this is what's happening. And so everything's going to be exposed. Let's talk about timing, okay? God's timing is hard. Because if you continue to think about this, and you kind of see him, he knows that, he anticipates that, Peter does, and he kind of talks to the church about it. You see it in verse 4. People say they are getting at it. We ask this question. I've heard this question. People say, why does Jesus seem so slow to return, especially with all the injustice in the world? Like, why is he so slow to return? Why doesn't he come back right now? 
That's a great question, and Peter is really helpful in answering that question. You see it in verses 8 and 9. What seems like a long delay to us is not from God's perspective. You see that whole language about one day to us. I mean, a thousand days to us is like a a second to him. Uh, And so it feels like a long delay to us, but it's actually from God's perspective it's not. And he goes on to explain, and this is probably the, the part that's really, it gets personal. It should be personal. As he says, the delay, right, is because he is patient toward you. He is delaying because there is still work to be done. There are still people to come to faith. Right? Uh, And then the last thing uh, is this kind of, he kind of drops this bomb on them in verse 13, which is really great. Peter starts out by pointing the church to God's word in the first few verses, right? And then he closes this section in verse 13 by pointing the church to God's promises. Uh, and so listen, just listen to verse 13. Uh, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here, this is what Peter's doing. Peter is saying... Don't forget the centerpiece of Jesus' second coming. Like he's saying, don't forget what actually gives you hope. Like what will get you through exam week? What will actually get you through crappy relationships? Right? He's saying, don't forget what? The new heavens and new earth. Like don't forget Jesus is going to renew everything. Like he's going to make everything new. Um, And so, okay, we've talked uh, about what is true. There's some big things that you just want to know about the end times that are true. Well, Peter just laid them out there. He tells the church, he tells us, these things that are true and and important about Jesus' second coming. And so here's, I think, a million-dollar question before we move on. Who passes... And man, if y'all hear anything tonight, you got to hear this. Who passes the test of Judgment Day? When, when Jesus comes and he judges, who will be standing with him in the new heavens and new earth? And, here, and here's what's important. In this passage, it is not good people. It's not. Those are not the people standing with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. Now, that should freak some of us out because we think we're good people. No. According to this passage, there is only one type of person that will be standing with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. It's the one who repents. And you see it. I mean, one pastor really helped me see this. You just look at the end of verse 9. Right? But that all should reach repentance. Like repentance is going to be what passes the test. On Judgment Day, um, the ones that passed, the ones that passed this test are the ones who know they're not good, right? And turn to Jesus and put their hope in Him. Uh, it's not good people; it's repentant people. Uh, okay, so we've looked at kind of what is true about Judgment Day. There's more stuff, but I mean, this is Peter kind of throwing out the big bullets of important things. In light of what is true, what do we do? It's a great question. Like, we're waiting. Well, what do we do while we're waiting? 
Um, and that's what Peter talks about in the next passage. Um, and I think it's important to notice, like, Peter, before he tells them what is true, I mean, before he tells them what to do, he tells them what is very true. Um, in fact, most of this chapter that's all about kind of Jesus' second coming is spent telling them what is true. A lot less time spent telling them what to do. Uh, and so, let's read verses 14 to 18. Um, he says, therefore, kind of, that's a big deal, therefore, connecting to the previous section. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. I think we can all agree with that. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so what do we do? Like maybe a more specific question would be, well, what do we do while we wait? Wait on Jesus' second coming. I mean, what do you do right now? Like, how do you live out your life? That's a good question. We all kind of think about that stuff. Uh, well, I, Peter helps us. We just read it. He's like, here's four quick things he kind of says. Uh, the first one he says is what? Be diligent. Um, you know, he says, be diligent in verse 14 to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, that's a mouthful. Um, the word he uses here for diligent it's an interesting word. It means to do one's best. To do one's best. Basically, Peter, in this moment, he's stressing, and this is important, he's stressing that the individual Christian, each of us individually, like we have a responsibility to make every effort to follow the example of Jesus. To do one's best. Like, to try to follow the example of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Be diligent to do this. And then he tells them to think. Sinners. You see it. In verse 15, he says, count. That word count, he says, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. The word count, could all, you see it translated a number of ways. Count, consider, regard. Peter's wanting them, he's wanting them to engage in an intellectual process. He's like, I want you to get your mind in, engaged here. And I want you to realize the Lord's patient return is an opportunity for salvation. Now, we talked about that earlier. Like the Lord is patient toward us. He's patient toward me. And, and I, I get that statement. Like I get that. Like what if the Lord Jesus had returned in 2000, the year 2000? It would have been a bad day for me, right? I would have probably been up in some fraternity house hammered. You know, I could have been making out with some girl. I mean, there's no telling what I could have been doing. It could have been really awful, and then Jesus comes. And I would have been like, oh, this is not good. Oh, my gosh. You know, like, it would have been wild. And so, like, I get it. Like, I get it when it says, hey, 
the Lord is patient, and you, and you ought to, like, that's a good thing for you, right? That's a, it was a good thing for me. Um, then he tells him to guard, like, be on guard against people who would twist the Scripture and resist the lure of spiritual corruption. And here's, Peter's saying this to a church, and Peter knows better than anyone, does he not? Like, he knows better than anyone how easy it is for the strongest people to fail. And he's saying, like, you guys got to be on guard because anybody could fail at any moment. Um, And so he says, be on guard. And then the last thing he says is grow. Um, He tells them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's a great phrase. And it's loaded with stuff. The, the assumption, though, there is you and myself, like we, Christians, Christians haven't arrived. Like, we never graduate from the gospel. Like, we never stop needing the gospel. We never stop needing to trust Jesus. Right? There, like, we always have room to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so... Peter tells the church, he tells us to do a number of things. He says, you need, to, you need to be responsible. You need to try to follow Jesus, right? It's not some passive thing. You actually have an active role in your spiritual growth and maturity, right? He tells them to think. He's like, you need to engage intellectually um, and think about this. He says, you need to be on guard because you could fail. Like, we could fail. I, I fail, um, and then he says, you need to grow. And so he's kind of encouraging, like, you're never not in need of the gospel. Like, you need to constantly be thinking about it, studying the scriptures, praying, spending time with God's people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you need to grow. And so the big idea in all of that being the Christian life is not to be lived in autopilot. Like, we just kind of like, oh, I became a Christian at some camp, and you're just kind of coasting, you're cruising, man. Um, I mean, God has things for us to do. Uh, He has things for us to do while we wait on earth. Uh, And those are good things. Um, And we do them not to earn God's love, right, and acceptance. Rather, we do them because we already are loved and accepted. Did you catch that? Like, the motivation for these things, like what to do, these four things that Peter kind of throws out there, is actually the, the 13 verses that come before like, God made promises. He, fu- he fulfills his promises. The truth is actually what motivates you to do what you've been called to do. And so, um, anyway, I know this is like a crazy topic. It's tough. Like, there's all kinds of bananas out there. Um, if you guys are, I mean, I'm always open to talk about this stuff. Like, I am. And, and I've heard it all, so you're not going to, like, surprise. Well, you might surprise me. Um, but we'll be fine. I love surprises, so bring it on. Anyway, I'm just saying, like, this is kind of big stuff. It can be kind of freaky and overwhelming. And so, let's talk. Ask me questions. Talk to some of the other students. Um, but we're going to pull it together because we talk about judgment, and I, and there's, there's, there's more to the story. We got any Johnny Cash fans? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I love Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash has this... He has this great traditional folk, folk song, right? And it's called, God's Gonna Cut You Down, right? 
<laughs> Literally. God's going to cut you down. It's also known as, depending on which album you get, Run On. Run On for a Long Time. Uh, it's been covered by Matchbox 20. It's been covered by Matchbox 20, the Blind Boys of Alabama. Anybody? Uh, Elvis Presley did it. Um, and so here's the song. Like, the lyrics of this song are a warning. If you listen to the song, it's a great song. But the lyrics are a warning to people, like, no matter how hard people try, like, Jesus is coming. Um, and they will not avoid Judgment Day. That's the whole point of the song. Like, you're not going to avoid Judgment Day. Um, but I, I would love to sit down with Johnny Cash and ask him, man, is that the end? Is that all you've got to say? And I think Johnny, Johnny Cash would have more to say. Um, I think Johnny Cash would say, no. No, judgment doesn't have to be the end for you. Because Jesus was judged, so you don't have to be. Y'all get that? You don't have to be afraid of judgment day. Because Jesus has already took judgment day on himself. Um, and so Jesus was judged, so we don't have to be. You get that? Uh, and so, question is, just think about, I mean, like, do you trust in Jesus? Uh, and if you do, like, what Peter's getting at in this passage is this should affect the way you live right now. Like, it should change the way you live right now. If you do not trust Jesus, you can. <coughs> you can. Uh, let's pray. God, you're good to us. Thank you uh, for Jesus. Uh, Thank you for Jesus who was judged in our place so we don't have to be. Um, And would you help us trust him? Would you help us love him? Would you help us follow him? I pray in his name. Amen.